Greetings, faithful listeners to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I'm also a professor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It's been a while since I have done an actual recorded podcast where I've gone in and purposely recorded one. I've been so busy lately traveling preaching at different conferences, um, just a lot of things going on in the life of our church that the main podcasts that you've been hearing on the Understanding Christianity podcast have been basically the Sunday morning sermons and our Wednesday night teachings, which are the normal flow of what I do in my ministry. But I have a little bit of time before the Thanksgiving holiday, and so I decided to come in and and just record a podcast today. And it's really not a big topic as far as anything theologically driven, but what I decided to do on this podcast is... As Christmas is approaching and maybe you're thinking about buying gifts or especially books for somebody that you love, maybe a a gift for a family member, a book for a pastor, an elder, a youth pastor, a seminary student. Um, In this podcast, what I want to do is just tell you the books that have been really influential uh, to me in my life and in my ministry and I'm going to maybe give some, some of my favorite quotes from those books. And so uh, this is just a little bit of fun um, to talk about the books that have really had an impact on me. And, and hopefully these are books that you could go get on Amazon or, or Christian Books distributors or, or wherever you purchase your, uh, your books. But um, I just wanted to give this list um, on this podcast. And so uh, they're kind of divided in categories, but uh, the the book I say that everybody should read, uh, absolutely must read, you need to have this book, and that is The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Um, I think Spurgeon said that if you couldn't get into heaven unless you've read this book, and obviously he's being facetious. But I often go back and read this book. Um, I read it in the unabridged, the original, uh, just because I like the way that it's written. Uh, But you can get different versions of this. Um, I would try, if you can, to read the original unabridged version. But it, it is so powerful in just the gospel. It's an exciting story of Christian and how he leaves the city of destruction when evangelist comes and tells him to flee the wrath to come and and all of the um, adventures he has going through the slew of despond and through the wicked gate and Mount Calvary and then um, basically uh, going to Vanity Fair and then and all the uh, doubting castle and eventually getting to the celestial city. It is a great story. You can read to your children. It has so much gospel. One of the things that Charles Spurgeon did say about John Bunyan, an interesting quote, he said, that if you were to cut him, his blood would uh, flow bibline. He used, up a, he used a word bibline, meaning that he, he was so full of the Bible that if you were to cut him in any place, the Bible would just ooze out. So number one book on my list is, is Pilgrim's Progress. Now let's talk about just theology. Uh, what books under the category of theology? Well, obviously, The Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin. It is a big book. It's something that you may not want to do all in one sitting, obviously, but you can take chunks of it, especially his section on prayer. A lot of people think that Calvin, you know, he wrote a lot about predestination and the doctrines of grace, and yes, he did, but some of his devotional thoughts on prayer in the Institutes are are very, very powerful. Um, This is how he starts the Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says, quote, Our wisdom... True and solid wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts. 
the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And that's really the bottom line. He says the greatest thing that we can have as far as wisdom in the Christian life is number one, to know who God is, and number two, to know who we are. And then he also writes in the opening pages of the Institutes, quote, men are never duly touched and impressed with the conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. Great book. Uh, if you're looking for a good systematic theology, obviously um, a lot of people are using Wayne Grudem's, and, and I have no, no problems with Wayne Grudem's except for it lends towards some charismatic uh, leanings as far as his understanding of, of progressive revelation and the gift of prophecy and things like that. But if you're looking for a really good reformed systematic theology, I would go to Louis Burkhoff. Uh, Louis Burkhoff's systematic theology um, is, is a good standard, reformed, um, non-charismatic, uh, nothing against charismatics, just that, you know, as a reformed Baptist who, who believes more in cessationism, uh, Louis Burkhoff's is a, is a great systematic theology. One of the books that really had an impact on me early in my, in my ministry, and it was The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Uh, just one thing about R.C. Sproul is that he is a masterful mind. I mean, you just listen to him talk, and especially his, his command of Latin, if you ever hear him talk. And I'm sure you guys listen uh, to his, his podcast, and, and you, you're, you're very, very familiar with Ligonier's. Um, and hopefully you've all read Holiness of God, but he just has a way of writing it in a way that's accessible. And there's a quote that I always go back to from the Holiness of God book, and that is, he, he says, quote, God is too great for us. He is too awesome. He makes difficult demands on us. He's the mysterious stranger who threatens our security. In His presence, we quake and we tremble. Meeting Him personally may be our greatest trauma. Oftentimes in church when I quote this, uh, we, we talk about this in our new members class when we talk about the attributes of God. A lot of people bristle at that at that uh, definition, they're like, God's a stranger? God, meeting God personally could be a trauma? And I say, yes, without Christ as your mediator. If Christ is not your mediator, ushering you into the presence of a holy God, yes, you will be traumatized by meeting a holy God. And so that, that book's just an awesome book. Knowing God by J.I. Packer, awesome book, especially his chapter on the wrath of God. He has a great, probably one of the better definitions and treatments on the wrath of God. But one of the things that J.I. Packer does in chapter one is he really talks about the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And here's what he says, quote, disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. Great quote. He says, listen, we're not just learning about the attributes of God to fill our heads with the attributes of God so we can list them off and give a definition. No, the reason we're learning the attributes of God is so that we can know the living God personally through Christ. One of the really good books that um, I read early on was The Pleasures of God 
by John Piper. Now, this is different than desiring God. Um, the pleasures of God is basically a, uh, a book that talks about desiring God. We'll talk about desiring God. We might as well just go ahead and talk about desiring God right now. Desiring God is more of how you relate to God as a Christian hedonist, as John Piper would say, and how you worship. And so in his book, he he defines what it means to glorify God. In the book, Desiring God, John Piper says, Worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. It doesn't mean making him honorable or increasing his honor. It means recognizing it and feeling the worth of it and ascribing it to him in all the ways appropriate to his character. For many, Christianity has become the grinding out of general doctrinal laws from a collection of biblical facts. But the childlike wonder and awe have died. The scenery and the poetry and the music of the majesty of God have dried up like a forgotten peach in the back of the refrigerator. In the end, the heart longs for God Himself. To see Him and know Him and be in His presence is the soul's final feast. Beyond this, there's no quest. Words fail. Obviously, if you're a John Piper fan... Desiring God is the name of his ministry. Hopefully you've read that book. And a lot of people have read Desiring God, but I actually think Pleasures of God, the Pleasures of God is actually, I like that book better. It's more about the nature and character of God and and who God is and how God acts, um, especially a lot with his sovereignty and providence. Um, In the appendix to that book is, Are There Two Wills in God? Um, Very, very famous. You can get this on the Desiring God website. But that's the first time I read that Are There Two Wills in God was the appendix of The Pleasures of God. Now, another book that's really been helpful to me is... Communion with God by John Owen. Now, if I'm going to list some John Owen books here. He's probably the oldest of the, of the writers that I really like. Uh, this book was written in 1657. And so the language is sometimes hard to wade through. John Owen was a masterful mind. He wrote an extensive commentary on the, on the book of Hebrews. But I just really have come back to this one quote. As I was reading this book, I don't remember, I think it was maybe back in 2007, 2008, I I was going through a dry time spiritually in my life, and uh, I somehow got a hold of this book. I I think I actually may have gotten it at the first Together for the Gospel back in 2006, and then I I, I ended up reading it maybe that next summer. And, And this one paragraph just jumped off the page and gripped me. And so I'm going to paraphrase it just because of the language, but it's pretty close. This is what John Owen says. When we see the love of God, we will delight in Him. Once the heart is taken up with the height and majesty of God's love, we cannot choose but to be overpowered, conquered, and endeared to Him. Exercise your thoughts upon the eternal, free, and fruitful love of the Father. And when you do this, you will find that your heart is wrapped up in delight for Him. Sit down a little at the fountain, and you will quickly discover the sweetness of the streams. You who have run from Him will not be able to keep a distance from Him for a moment. I love the imagery there. 
There's been times in your life where maybe you're running from God. You're spiritually just in a dry place. Your, your prayer life is not the way it should be. And John Owen says, just sit down at the fountain. Sit down with the Father. Sit down at the fountain of living water, the stream of sweetness. And you're not going to be able to want to run from Him ever again. You're going to want to drink deeply from the fountain of God who is our very life. So those are some books in theology that have really just meant a lot to me. Now, one of the books that I really appreciate is The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. I'm actually going to be addressing this in my sermon this coming Sunday when we talk a little bit about lordship salvation and the free grace theology. But back in the 80s, late 80s, he wrote this book to combat the anti-lordship free grace movement that basically denied that there was a need for repentance when you present the gospel, this whole idea that you can take Jesus as Savior but decide later on whether you want to take Him as Lord, this whole optional lordship. All you need to do is just basically believe Jesus died for your sins and accept Him as Savior, but you don't need to trust Him as Lord. And so John MacArthur wrote the gospel according to Jesus, and he just goes through uh, the gospels and talks about what Jesus' demands are for those that would follow Him. And so this is one of the things that he said um, in his book. He says, quote, The Western church has subtly changed the thrust of the gospel. Instead of exhorting sinners to repent, evangelicalism in our society asked the unsaved to, quote, except Christ. This makes the sinner sovereign and puts Christ at their disposal. In effect, it puts Christ on trial and hands the judge's robes and gavel to the inquirer, precisely the opposite of what should be. Ironically, people who ought to be concerned about whether Christ will accept them are being told by Christians that it is the sinner's prerogative to, quote, accept Christ. This modified gospel depicts conversion as a, quote, decision for Christ rather than a life transforming change of heart involving genuine faith, repentance, surrender, and rebirth unto newness of life. A very accessible read, a very timely book. If you want to talk to uh, about issues related to evangelism and the gospel and the importance of that, um, and, and this is kind of out of order, but I really love uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones's um, studies in the Sermon on the Mount. You can get this book. I think it's from Erdman's Press, Erdman's Publishing Company. Uh, it's, it's all of his sermons on the Sermon on the Mount put in a book form. And you can get a lot of Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermons. I just really, really appreciate the depth of insight that he has um, in that, studies on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, another book that's more theological, exegetical, and that is Walt Kaiser's Toward an Exegetical Theology. This is more probably, almost every seminary student probably had to read this. This is just a great book that talks about how do you do Bible study, how do you do sermon preparation, how do you do exegesis when you dig into the text. It's a classic book, uh, deals with the, the need for strong exegesis in expository preaching. That's Toward an Exegetical Theology by Walt Kaiser. One of the other books that I really impacted me was John Murray's Redemption Accomplished and Applied. If you want a book that goes through the doctrines of grace, especially the L 
and the eye in the tulip acrostic. If you're wanting to look at limited atonement or definite atonement and then irresistible grace or sovereign regeneration, that book is very, very well written and is probably one of the best succinct cases for definite atonement or particular redemption. It's called Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray. Well, now that we're on the doctrine of of Calvinism or Reformed theology, obviously, uh, maybe some of you have heard the story. Um, You know, I grew up in more of a uh, traditional Southern Baptist, um, almost like an Arminian-leaning church with the exception that we didn't believe you could lose your salvation. And so uh, I I was not exposed to the doctrines of grace. And then I remember in college uh, being around those that were more reformed and and just being totally shocked that that, that somehow God would be sovereign in choosing sinners for salvation. And so um, I bucked that whole um, movement and and really got angry. And it wasn't until I was in seminary in the late 90s, early 2000, that um, as I was reading systematic theology as I was studying the original languages, and I just so happened to have a apologetics professor at Golden Gate Seminary, the Rocky Mountain campus in Denver, who was none other than Dr. James White. And so Dr. James White, I didn't even know who he was. I didn't know what Alpha and Omega ministry was. I just knew he was some adjunct professor from Phoenix that was coming and teaching us on apologetics. And, And obviously he was an avowed Calvinist and I was a little taken back by that. I was struggling with that. And, you know, he was talking about how really a a high view of the sovereignty of God is what's going to be the best and most consistent approach to doing apologetics. And then I think this was about the time that um, the Potter's Freedom had just come out because it was a response to Norman Geisler's Chosen But Free, which I read. and, And I was confused by that book because I didn't think he really defended one way or the other. It was just more confusing. And so I read... James White's The Potter's Freedom. And, I, and I've, I've shown my youth pastor this. You can go look. The, the color of pen, the, the ink in there. Three times I read that book. The first time I read it, I was disagreeing after disagreeing after disagreeing. I was, you know, pot shot after pot shot, just, you know, ripping it up. That's in blue ink. The next time you see highlighter where I'm starting to agree. And then finally, uh, the third time I'm reading the book, you see in black pen where I'm totally counteracting what I had in blue pen. So obviously, The Potter's Freedom by James White was a very influential book just because of him being my professor and also at the same time, just at that time in my life, I'm in seminary and soaking all this stuff in. That book was very, very helpful. Obviously, um, Lorraine Bettner's The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. I'm actually um, picking that book up again and just reading it. Um, I obviously read it probably 15, 16 years ago, uh, but um, the opening chapters, I read the first three chapters just the other night. Uh, My wife came in. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm reading The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Bettner. And she just kind of shook her head and and just, you know, just kind of laughed. But anyway, that's what I'm reading right now. And and it's it's an excellent book that lays forth the doctrines of grace. Also, you know, a more accessible, probably layman's, again, is R.C. Sproul's Chosen by God. When we homeschooled my son, my oldest son, who's actually off in college, when he was a freshman, that was the book I made him read, and he had to do a book report on that and had to say whether he agreed with R.C. Sproul or not, and he wrote a pretty well-written paper uh, defending the doctrines of grace from uh, Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul, and and we have a video series, too, that you can watch to go along with that um, here in our church. Um, Sam Storms, this may be a little little, um, lesser-known book, Chosen for Life, 
uh, Sam Storms. Uh, he does a lot of stuff with Desiring God. Uh, he's got his own ministry. I think it's called Enjoying God. But he's good friends with John Piper. But this book, Chosen for Life, again, um, deals with a lot of the texts that Arminians may use and, and, and gives pretty good analogies and illustrations. I really like that book. Obviously, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer is a classic. That's book, you know, everybody needs to read it. He does an awesome job of showing how God's sovereignty interacts with our evangelism. Uh, one of the early books I read when I became a Calvinist, especially, you know, when you become a Calvinist, you, you begin to, to ask the practical questions. Well, how does this work out as far as evangelism? And that was a really good book. Another great book on evangelism is Tell the Truth by Will Metzger, M-E-T-Z-G-E-R, Will Metzger. That book really does a great job of explaining a theology of lostness, of regeneration, of how re really we in the Reformed tradition should be declaring the gospel to lost people. And so it is a book on the theological aspects of evangelism and then some practical ways that you can do evangelism. Tell the truth. Probably one of the most impactful books in my life going all the way back to when I first read it in college. I think it was 1991 when I first read this book and have read it numerous times since. I've led our men through it, and that is Jerry Bridges' The Pursuit of Holiness. This is a book that everybody needs to read. It is an awesome book on sanctification and our growth in grace. And it's totally really gave a paradigm shift on how I viewed the struggle with sin. Because, you see, I grew up with this whole idea that you needed to have victory over sin and you needed to live in the victory over sin and you needed to rededicate your life. And if you weren't living right, you would go down to the altar the next week and rededicate your life and that God was after your absolute surrender. God was after your victory. And that just got very frustrating, very defeating. Uh, just it, it wore me out. It, it, I, did I surrender enough? I wasn't experiencing this victory that other Christians were. And so when I read that book, the Pursuit of Holiness, it really helped me. And so here's what he writes, quote, God wants us to walk in obedience, not victory. Obedience is oriented toward God. Victory is oriented toward self. This is not to say that God doesn't want us to experience victory, but rather to emphasize that victory is the byproduct of obedience. That one statement revolutionized my entire way of thinking. God is concerned with my obedience to His Word. And when I'm obeying, victory will be the byproduct. And that was really, really revolutionary in my understanding. Now, The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. If you can read the original, read it. If not, there's an abridged version called Triumph Over Temptation. I think J.I. Packer does edit that where they've updated the language. But and this is, these are books on sanctification, personal growth, dealing with holiness issues. The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. His famous quote is, Be killing sin or it will be killing you. This whole idea from Romans 8 of by the Spirit put to death or mortify the deeds of the flesh. Another good book is by Bishop J.C. Ryle, the Bishop of Liverpool, written in the late 1800s, Holiness by Bishop Ryle. 
And he gives a great definition of sanctification, probably one of the better definitions of sanctification that I found. It's just a, a really excellent book on the pursuit of holiness. Um, let me give you his definition of sanctification. Quote, Sanctification is that inward spiritual work which the Lord Jesus Christ works in a man by the Holy Spirit when he calls him to be a true believer. He not only washes him from sins in his own blood, but he also separates him from his natural love of sin and the world, puts a new principle in his heart, and makes him practically godly in life. The instrument through which the Holy Spirit affects this work is generally the Word of God, though he sometimes uses afflictions and providential visitations. Sanctification, we are made holy progressively through the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the primary means of growing in holiness? The Word of God. Though sometimes God will bring afflictions and providential visitations. God may um, bring divine appointments or, or afflictions or ordained suffering as a way for us to grow in our faith. A newer book, it's come out maybe five or six years ago by Tim Chester out of England, is You Can Change. You Can Change. It's very accessible. It deals with a lot of the concepts from the old Puritans as far as how to put to death sin, and he deals with um, really the whole issue of, of gospel transformation. You Can Change. Another good book that you probably need to be familiar with is uh, J. Gresham Machen's Christianity and Liberalism, written in the late 20s, late, late 1920s. Um, this was at the height of the fundamentalist, modernist movement in our nation, Scopes Monkey Trial, all those different things where evolution was making its sway. And he basically just defines how Christianity, the gospel, stands in stark contrast to the liberalism of the day, which was where the mainstream denominations are today. It's very profound that almost you know, 80, you know, 80, 90 years ago, he was discussing these issues that are so pertinent today. John, not John, Mark, John, a lot of John Owen, John Piper, John MacArthur, John Calvin. I've talked about the different Johns, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, no, this is Mark, Mark Dever, uh, nine marks of a healthy church. Obviously, if you're in pastoral ministry, if you're a church leader, that book needs to be on your shelf. That needs to be a book you take your elders through, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. Obviously, he's got the Nine Marks website where he has tons of resources. Uh, but that book, I read that book before, um, I think I read that back when I was a youth pastor in probably like 2001 or 2002. And so even before I was a pastor. Let's talk about preaching. Now, obviously, I've got my doctorate in expository preaching. So I've read a lot of books on preaching some good some excellent some mediocre and so if you are listening to this and you're a preacher you're a youth pastor you're a seminary student or maybe you just want to learn more about preaching let me give you some great resources uh, the first one is by somebody that i consider a spiritual mentor and that is um, dr art azurdia out of western seminary in portland oregon um, his book spirit empowered preaching I don't know how I got a copy of this book. I really don't remember how I got Spirit-Empowered Preaching. I was reading this as a youth pastor back in Colorado Springs. And then somehow I found his website and had all of his sermons. And, and the sermons that were the impetus for the book, Spirit-Empowered Preaching, I began listening to him preach. And I'm like, holy cow. This, this man's an awesome preacher. Not only is the book helpful, but his preaching is helpful. And so, and I think it was in 2007, 2008, when I was here at Emmanuel, 
um, in the early years, um, I said, you know what, let's just, let's, let's do a crapshoot and let's, let me just call up Artaxerde and see if he'd be willing to come out and preach at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. So sure enough, I called Dr. Artaxerdea and he was gracious and said, sure, I'll come out. So he came out for a weekend at our church where he met with our elders. He preached about four or five times. Um, I got to spend time picking his brain and, and learning from him. And he met with us and some local pastors in the area and talked a lot of, did a little study on, on expository preaching. And we just had a great time of fellowship and uh, really just appreciated him being in our church. And our, our, obviously our people loved him because he's an awesome preacher. Well, back in 2010, when I was president of the Colorado Baptist Convention here in Colorado, um, you get to, you're in charge of who gets to come preach at the annual meeting. And the annual meeting was in Breckenridge, Colorado, and I asked Artaxerde to come back and preach. And so um, he came back, and I got to spend another couple of days with him, um, you know, hearing him preach, talking with him, learning from him. Uh, we've corresponded back and forth um, through the years. And so I really appreciate his ministry. I still listen to him. He's the number one preacher I still listen to personally uh, just because um, of the personal relationship I have. But that book, Spirit-Empowered Preaching, is a wonderful book on just the role of the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the gospel, expository preaching, and how uh, the, the congregation's responsibility, the preacher's responsibility, the role of the Holy Spirit, just a very, a very um, excellent book. If you want to read Preaching and Preachers by Martin Lloyd-Jones to, to just laugh, I mean, it's a great book, but he is so opinionated in that book, it's hilarious. I would just encourage you to read it just for his highly opinionated views on preaching. But it's a classic, Preaching and Preachers by Martin Lloyd-Jones. But there's really two preaching books, well, maybe three, that probably had the most impact on me. Uh, number one, Christ-Centered Preaching by Brian Chappell. That book did revolutionize some ideas that I have on preaching with this fallen condition focus, the CFC. Um, basically, what his argument is, is that in almost every text of the Bible, there is a fallen condition that the original hearers and the original people in that text were dealing with in relation to sin and the effects of the fall. And, and, and that's the same thing that we struggle with today because of the fall. All of us are fallen in Adam. All of us struggle with sin. And so how is this text addressing the sin problem? And then how does the gospel of Christ come into bear on that? And so he does a great job of, of holding that balance because in today's um, culture of preaching, especially among the Reformed, uh, there are some extremes with the Christ-centered focus where almost every passage of Scripture in the Old Testament has some analogy or some um, allusion to Christ where you're almost trying to force Christ into every text. Um, I'm not saying that Graham Goldsworthy or Sidney Gradonis or others do that. I think that the followers of, of those men may do that, but I think Brian Chappell brings a good balance to that. Um, another awesome book that really, um, probably one of my favorite books on preaching is Between Two Worlds by John Stott. Um, if I would probably say, to, you know, to any preaching student, if there's one book you need to read, it's Between Two Worlds. Because what John Stott does is he says, there's two worlds. There's the ancient world of the Bible, and there's the modern world of your congregation. And there's, there's a bridge that needs to be crossed. And your job in preaching is to cross that bridge. And you don't want to get wrong what the original text said. 
And you also don't want to be so archaic that you don't connect to your audience. And so your hard work as a pastor is to do the exegetical expositional work of discovering what the original text means and all of that hard work and then build a bridge through your preaching to a modern audience who doesn't have that knowledge and, and, and bringing the truths to life in expository preaching. He is Not Silent by Dr. Moeller at Southern Seminary. He's also another good book. Um, he just does some good definitions of expository preaching, especially in an age that's anti-authoritarian and a postmodern age. He is Not Silent by Dr. Al Moeller. And some of you may say, well, what, what commentaries do you use? And what, what commentaries would you recommend? Well, one thing I would recommend is don't go out and buy a commentary set. There are some good commentary sets. Um, I, I really like for the, the New Testament, I like the Pillar New Testament commentary series by uh, Dr. Don Carson is the general editor. They don't have every book in the New Testament out, but the Ephesians, the Hebrews, uh, the Acts, um, First Thessalonians, I think those are, I'm thinking of the sermons I've preached in the past seven, ten years. That is an excellent resource, the, the Pillar commentary. The New International Commentary on the Old and New Testaments, very, very solid, very, very conservative. The New American Commentary, it's actually the, by Brodman and Holman, the, the Southern Baptist Publishing House. The New American Commentary is, is very, very good. Um, th- those are, those are you know, kind of the top three that I use as far as exegetical commentaries. Now, depending on the book that I'm working in, like right now, I'm in the Gospel of John, and so I'm using Andreas Kostenberger's um, Baker exegetical commentary on John. I'm using the New American. I'm using the Pillar with Don Carson. Um, I'm using Leon Morris's the New International commentary. Uh, Bill Cook, who was my New Testament professor at Southern Seminary, has a uh, more of a preaching commentary on the Gospel of John, which is very helpful. I'm using as well, and so there's just a lot of resources. Um, one of the websites that you could go to is called bestcommentaries.com, and they give you ratings of the best commentaries by book of the Bible. And so you go under there, and, it, and they, they rank them like what's the number one as far as rankings, and it tells you what kind it is. Is it an ex? Is it a devotional? Is it pastoral? Um, Is it critical? Depending on your area of expertise. And so as you think about this Christmas season and what you're going to purchase for your pastor or what you're going to purchase for your youth pastor or your husband or wife or for your children or whoever it is that you have on your list to give gifts to, maybe you can bless them with a really good book um, a theological, a spiritual book on the gospel, uh, these books that I've listed. And, and maybe these are books that have resonated with you. Maybe these are new books you've never heard of. Again, these are just the books that have personally uh, benefited me over the years that I come back to, that, I, that are earmarked, dog-tagged, highlighted, um, all, all those things that, that have been worn out on my bookshelf. And just a thing about books, um, I'm not a big Kindle guy. Um, I like to have a physical book in my hand. I like to have a physical highlighter and a pen so I can write and interact with books that I'm reading, writing notes in the margin, um, interacting with the author. That's a really good way to read a book is to interact with the arguments and thoughts of the author, whether you agree or disagree or, or what 
is his or her main point? What's their thesis? What are they trying to do? And that's a discipline I've just learned through going through seminary. When you, you do so many book reviews, you, critical book reviews and, and writing doctoral thesis, you have to do that. But I still try to keep that discipline alive because it really helps you not just read with, a, with your mind turned off and just blanketly accepting everything that the author's saying, but it helps you to critically engage in a book. Because again, when you read a book, it's not the gospel. It's not inerrant. It's not inspired. It's, it's, it's a, from a fallible human. And there there may be some things that you wholeheartedly disagree with. And so you just need to be discerning as a reader. Well, uh, this has been a short podcast. I wanted to get one in just to kind of give you some encouragement. Um, I do enjoy the, the correspondence that I have with my listeners. And um, hopefully um, as the time winds down this year, I'll have opportunities to get more podcasts in on different topics. I know some of you have um, emailed me some future topics. I probably will have a few guests on in the near future um, that uh, I'm in conversations with right now that want to interact and, and maybe um, give their two cents worth in on some issues. And so um, that may be coming shortly as well. And so again, I really appreciate you listening. I appreciate the kind emails. I appreciate all the, the good feedback I get. It does help if you do go to iTunes and give us a review and rating because it does uh, bump our Understanding Christianity podcast um, higher in the, in the um, exposure. And when people are going and searching podcast on Christianity, uh, the more reviews and ratings you have, the more opportunity uh, there is to, to, to have this podcast be accessible to a wider audience if you find this podcast beneficial. So God bless you. Have a great Thanksgiving with your friends and family. And I pray that the Lord will cause his face to shine upon you this holiday season. And in all things, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus.